Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kleminski. Alongside me today, Patrick Cushman. It is NFL Draft Week. We had some moves made earlier today uh, that could shake up the league. Um, so, should be in for a good episode. Patrick, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. Didn't really have much to do today, so I'm happy to be on the show. All right, let's get uh, let's get right into it. We'll talk some NFL news uh, first. Um, earlier this morning, Tampa Bay Buccaneers they re-signed Antonio Brown, getting the whole band back together. I'll be honest, this was not very surprising to me. They managed to re-sign everyone from basically last year's team. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but I know my main takeaway from this was, uh, you know, you see a lot of times with these teams. Uh, championship teams like I know that you look at the Blackhawks for example like every year they'd always lose some key member uh, of the team they wouldn't be able to re-sign them uh, and obviously you win a championship your value goes up in free agency but Tampa Bay has managed to bring back just about like every important piece that they needed to on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball um I think this is a scary team heading into next year and obviously they just won a Super Bowl so they'd be favorites but uh, Tom Brady even said it took him a while to figure everything out uh, and, and click because I, what stands out is like midway through the year they had that ugly loss against New Orleans um, and that was one of Antonio Brown's first games with the Buccaneers. Now that everyone has had a year under their belt and Brady's kind of learned the new system and everyone's accustomed to playing with them, I think this team's going to be even better uh, next year and I would put them as the, my clear favorites in the NFC, um, hell, even in the NFL. I just think he, that's what that Tom Brady can do with a team, and now you get another another year of experience under everyone. So uh, I I'd be worried about this team running it back. Well, how do you think this move affects the rest of the league? Yeah, um, they definitely are favorites. I think there's about five teams every year that have a legitimate chance, um, and they're at one and they're at the top of that list. Um, especially, I think their division is going to be um, a little weaker. With I think uh, New Orleans may struggle. Um, with Drew Brees being uh, retiring. And so, yeah, they're definitely contenders. Um, they won the Super Bowl last year, so even if they lost some pieces, they would still be at that list. But the fact of the matter is they brought all those guys back. Now with Antonio Brown, um, I wonder what his market really was. I don't really think a lot of teams were going to be willing to invest into him just because he's so much of a wild card. Um, Tampa Bay was able to tame him a little bit and keep him out of um, keep them out of trouble, and so you know they feel confident that uh, you know they can bring them back without incident. I don't know if any other team really was going to take that chance on them, um, but yeah, no, they're definitely going to be favorites in the NFC. I think them, uh, Green Bay, and I think a team um, from the um, Western Division too is going to have um, a really good shot at winning this. This year, and you know the NFC West is is a crapshoot. You know Arizona has a good team. Uh, San Francisco two years ago were in the Super Bowl. Um, Seattle's got a pretty good roster as well. So it's going to be a very competitive NFC, and it'll be uh, fun to see how things shake out. Uh, I'm interested. You know, you bring up a good point there. Um, for say, like the, the Packers, for example, a team that needs weapons. Would you? have wanted them to go after Antonio Brown, or is the sideshow too much? Because I know me personally, just as a Bears fan, and not this doesn't affect the, the team at all, and obviously any of their decisions, but I know I wouldn't have wanted them to go after him just because of all the extra stuff that he brings, and I would have a hard time rooting for a guy like that to begin with. But like you saw in Pittsburgh, like if you have an unstable locker room, which I'll be honest, I, I'm speaking from a Chicago fan, 
we kind of did last year. Everything was not buttoned up if you, you listen to all the reports and we have a coach on the hot seat. I think that's a, that's a little bit too much turmoil for me, bringing, rolling the dice, bringing Antonio Brown in. But for the Packers, or if you, for your team, would you have wanted them to, you know, make uh, add Antonio Brown? No, and I, you know, the Packers, while they don't have, you know, the big, I mean, they have Devontae Adams. They got, but they got good production out of their two, three, and four guys. Um, but what Brown, I mean, Brown, you know, he's, he's not the player he once was, let's be honest here. You know, he's right. not the playmaker. And at what point, I mean, because, and a team like Green Bay, I mean, they they went 13 and three. I think they're, I, I think we can both agree they're pretty much a lock to make the playoffs. Um, as long as there's not a huge injury to Aaron Rodgers or, you know, a large injury crisis like we saw in San Francisco, I would say they're a lock. Yeah. Um, and so then to take that risk on someone like Antonio Brown, um, and he is, he is someone who could, um, when I say like an injury crisis, um, it could just be Antonio Brown being in that locker room too. That is a real possibility that he could just destroy a team's culture, a team's confidence just divide the team in general and I would not want to get anywhere near him. Uh, so yeah, no, I am very happy. I mean, good for him. He's still in the league. Hopefully he can figure things out in his own mind and his own head, but, uh, he can stay away from green Bay. Another big move today. Well, not, not as big as that one, I guess, but the uh, Denver Broncos, they make a trade. We were interested to see if they're going to head into the season still trusting Drew Locke. They decided to add Teddy Bridgewater for a six-round pick, and Carolina or uh, Carolina still paying for a decent part of his salary. So this move showed me two things. I mean, one, it was not surprising they traded Teddy Bridgewater. I think we all, uh, you know, Sam Darnold's the number one quarterback over there. But for for the Broncos, one, it showed clearly that they do not have as much faith in Drew Locke as they thought. Uh, number two, I don't see them drafting a quarterback with their ninth overall pick simply because why would you have it doesn't make much sense to me if you have other needs in the roster to have carry three quarterbacks in the room and I think with Teddy Bridgewater it, it could be a sneaky good move especially if he wins the job out of camp because traditionally he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot I know last year he had a couple problems he's not the most mobile but say you draft uh, uh Rashawn Slater in that spot for the Broncos. Now you have a good offensive lineman. You have some weapons on the outside. Teddy Bridgewater is a very capable quarterback. I would like him a lot better than uh, Drew Locke heading in there. So I think that's kind of a that's not a bad move uh, for Denver. But I, I think it also shows that I think you're going to have one of the teams that was might have been interested in the quarterback. It opens up a, a spot for someone else. Um, what did you What did you think of the move? Yeah, um, I mean. Uh, and this kind of opens up maybe Carolina takes a quarterback if one falls, right? Um, I don't think anyone is sold on Sam Darnold. They might be. They might not be. We don't really know if a guy like Justin Fields drops to Carolina. Uh, you, you, that might be a conversation we're having is uh, whether they draft a quarterback or not. I, um, and, yeah. I don't know about that. See, here, I think they invested a lot in Sam Darnold there, and I, my feeling would be, I, if, especially if a receiver falls, like a Jamar Chase or a J- Jalen Waddles still available down there, and you add it to that uh, receiving core where you had because uh, now because with the Jets his best receiver was Robbie Anderson all those years, now all of a sudden he's got Robbie Anderson. You add Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. You have uh, more 
Uh, and then you throw in like a Jalen Waddle or a, a, a Jamar, Jamar Chase or if one of the receivers falls. I don't see. I don't think they're taking a quarterback. Right? They invested in him, and you, I think you're going to see a career renaissance out of Sam Darnold simply because of all the. He's going to first time in his career. He's going to have a lot of weapons. So I, I would be shocked uh, if they I, took a quarterback. No, I'm no, I'm not saying they're definitely going to take a quarterback, but I'm saying I I've heard that the, that Carolina likes Trey Lance. I've I you know I've I've read that I've seen that. I'm not saying they will, but I, I think it's a conversation that they might have. Um, the fact that they traded for Darnold, though, might show that they have a little bit more confidence. I was saying before the draft, or before the Sam Darnold trade, that they were going to trade Teddy Bridgewater and draft a guy like Trey Lance with their pick. Now it's a little bit more clouded. Um, I think if the pick isn't there for a quarterback, they don't. But if it is, I think it's in that conversation. Um, I, you know, The percentage, I, you know, I don't know. But I think it still is in that conversation. I don't think you can rely on Sam Darnold. Um, and next year's quarterback class is very weak. Um, and so, you know, if, if a guy that they like falls to him, well, maybe they take him. Uh, you never know. Um, now, for Denver in this situation, um, Drew Locke kind of showed. I mean, he had uh, two seasons back. You know, he, he had a good six-game, five-game stretch. Played really well. Um, and then last year, you know, he kind of came back down to earth. You know, the Drew Locke magic uh, kind of came down, and he kind of showed that he's not. And this is no, this is Drew Locke's a great, great kid. Um, has some talent with him, but he's not ever going to be a top level quarterback, right? Um, and that was shown last year. Uh, and so, you know, maybe Teddy Bridgewater maybe has something left in the tank. You know, with all his injuries, um, but last year statistically throwing the ball was his best season um now they didn't win many games um but and he did have problems with turnovers but as far as yardage goes completions per attempt uh touchdown passes was his best even better than his pro bowl season in minnesota so maybe he does some, have something left in the tank maybe if they do add a wide receiver or another weapon or maybe they add a uh, an offensive lineman like you said they can get that run game going they can get a little better options around him and so that he can maybe you know have uh you know not you know a great season but kind of the seasons that we saw when minnesota where he was a very serviceable quarterback for minnesota um and on the other side um you know if it doesn't work uh you you have drew lock who who's on a rookie contract you have you know teddy bridgewater who uh they're the carolina's paying most of it um, it's kind of just a crapshoot. I think either way, even if Teddy Bridgewater, I think they're still one draft away from being, you know, contenders again. Um, so it's a low risk move, and for a six round pick, it doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, I, you know, I Drew Locke, I think his first year, I think a lot of that was due to just not a whole lot of tape on him, and once teams started to figure him out, like he does have some redeeming qualities. He's fairly athletic. He's got a big arm. But the decision-making to me is just like too bad, which I think they showed that they clearly do not have a whole lot of faith in him, uh, despite what they've said, because they were rumored to be getting, drafting a quarterback. And now, obviously, you add Teddy Bridgewater. And I was talking to our resident Broncos fan, Marsh Macaluso. They're saying they still might be in on a guy like Justin Fields. I'll be honest, I think this kind of rules out them drafting a quarterback simply because, one, Vic Fangio, defensive head coach, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets like a, a Micah Parsons uh, or some, something along those lines. Um, oh, Patrick, call, call it, uh, cut out here. Micah Parsons or something along those lines. Oh, 
Sorry about that. Yeah, no, you're good. I think we cut out. Anyway, like I was saying, I, I think it rules out them drafting a quarterback because Vic Fangio, defensive-minded head coach. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if they draft someone like a Micah Parsons or someone available there. Or, like I said earlier, you get an offensive line help, and Teddy Bridgewater is not the most mobile. If he's able to sit back there and distribute to all the, 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 the weapons they have, then I think, I think that's the move. So I do not see the Broncos taking a quarterback there. Now, I will say this. Trey Lance... One of the more interesting, I think Trey Lance is the most interesting guy in this draft just because he can really muck things up for a lot of teams. You have, and he makes the draft really a whole lot more interesting because he, he, when you look at him, it's definitely, he, he's got the least amount of experience out of anyone in the quarterback class. But by all reports, he, he's out, outside of Trevor Lawrence, he's got one of the higher ceilings out of everyone, too. Uh, there's rumored that the 49ers were interested in him at two, it's clo- or three. They're closing the gap between him and Mac Jones. I, I still don't buy that. Um, and we can get into that later. But I know the Patriots, they want to trade up for him. There's the Broncos that might be interested. Bears need a quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade up for one. Um, I think he still goes to New England. I think New England trades up, and that's like the best landing spot for him. But there's a lot of teams. And you even mentioned, you floated out there, Carolina could be a possibility. Um, but although with, with Sam Darnold, I think that would be hard because you have a guy, I know how much confidence plays a huge role at the quarterback position. And you have a guy that just got traded from a team and now you're going to draft another one and your confidence is just going to kind of be shot. Um, you see that a lot of times. Like Mike Glennon when the Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky. And mind you, Mike Glennon wasn't good. He, You could tell he didn't have the mental fortitude well, to handle Mike, that. Mike Glennon at one point was a very sought-after trade, um, a trade piece. Um, when he was in Tampa Bay. A lot right. of people forget that. But he signed that four-year, $48 million contract even, with the Bears. Even more recently, so, you look, yeah, that is true. But even if you look at more recently, uh, Carson Wentz, who I think is one of the better talents in the NFL, they drafted a quarterback, couldn't handle it. So that's why I just don't – that's why I would rule out Carolina drafting. But like, Trey, Trey Lance makes it interesting because there's a lot of teams interested. There's a lot to like. I, I'm curious – where he falls because I think that he's the biggest X factor kind of in this entire draft. Well, and you don't really know what you're kind of getting with him. Right. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of experience. He played at the FCS level. Um, and so he, he hasn't played, you know, NFL talent. Uh, I mean, there is some NFL talent in the FCS, but I mean, it's not, he wasn't playing in the SEC for sure. Right. And he only played there for one season. He didn't play this year. Um, and he's just, and you, you kind of don't know where he is NFL ready, and you kind of don't know what his ceiling is. Um, some teams like him. Uh, he's kind of the biggest fluctuator of he could be great, he could be a bust. You don't really know. Yeah, it's true. So, and it is kind of shifting along the same lines, the Trey Lance talk. Um, and I we I talked about this last week kind of. So they, add, they, they asked Sean or uh, Kyle Shanahan this week, um, if Jimmy Garoppolo, they could guarantee he'd be still on the roster Sunday. And he responded by going, well, I can't guarantee anyone's going to be on the roster because I can't guarantee anyone's going to be alive Sunday. Well, yeah, well, he Which, said, I can't guarantee that anyone will be alive. Right. Which is kind of an yeah. odd answer, but like that was, I think, a very clear indication that they are planning on trading Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but... The reason I think, and everyone's kind of speculated that Mac Jones is definitely going to the 49ers at number three, is because they want to win now. They feel like they have the Super Bowl roster in place. The defense was very good last year. Obviously, they had some injury problems. Everyone's coming back. So uh, they feel like they're in place. Mac Jones is the best one to get it there. 
I question that though because I don't think I, I can see why they think Mac Jones is simply because he he ran an NFL. He was in an NFL style offense at Alabama. Yada yada yada. I don't think he's that good. I think it's going to be a mistake. But uh, why trade Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, I think you know even if you want to take a quarterback, the roster is good enough. Where like you could with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he wins games. His the problem is he's always hurt all the time. So like I guess you drafted the quarterback. You get him a little bit more time instead of throwing him into the fire right right away as a rookie. He, at least you have some insurance for Jimmy Garoppolo if he gets hurt. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know why they'd want to trade. I don't know why they're so eager to move off Garoppolo. I think ever since he's been in the league, all he does is win games. The problem is he just you know he can't can't stay healthy. But uh, I I think it's a baffling move from them. But I, I, there's no way I don't I think they take Trey Lance at number three. Because, uh, like I said, they want to win this year, and Trey Lance are going to really put all your cards on the table for a guy that's playing in the FCS. You don't really know what you're going to get. He's a year removed, and there's even Todd McShay was saying, like in his, his thing, while he's extremely talented, there's been some decision making questions as far as uh, throws go and turnovers. So uh, that's a tough ask for them. So I, all this talk that I know there was uh, Schefter tweeted today that like the gap's narrowing. They don't know who they're going to take. I feel like it's still pretty much a lock that they're going to take uh, um, Mac Jones at three. Yeah, and uh, where did we, I mean, Mac Jones, I mean, even two or three months ago was like the number five quarterback in this draft, and he really shot up boards. Um, and if you're trying to win now, right, like, they, like they've been saying, we're trying to win now. You have a quarterback that's winning, but his problem is being injured. But if you, you can't, I, I really don't understand the logic of just being, oh, well, he always gets injured. Let's throw a rookie in there. Yeah. Because that, that really does I mean, if they could have gotten an experienced backup quarterback in free agency or through trade. They could have created a six-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. Um, I don't know if salary cap would have allowed it, but, you know, a move like that, right? Um, and drafting a guy like Mac Jones, I really don't understand how that translates to winning now. Now, I will say this. They could keep Garoppolo, draft a guy like, well, draft a guy like Trey Lance, Right, and then if Garoppolo gets hurt, you know, week ten, Trey Lance has some experience. I really, I you know, that's my only thing thing with keeping them both. But like you said, it could kill Garoppolo's confidence. You never really know. Yeah, I well actually, Trey Lance would make more sense to me just from like the two because if you draft Mac Jones, and obviously he's considered the most NFL ready. Now you have that quarterback competition in camp. You're splitting reps. It's a disaster. When you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. Trey Lance is pretty clear. He's going to need to sit a year at least, at least a smart team would. Um, it'd be kind of like Mahomes. Like Mahomes sat a year, and it was look how beneficial that was to him. Especially So if you drafted Trey Lance at two, and you know you're going to move off Garoppolo eventually, but you can still keep him to start the year. And I think Garoppolo would be a little bit more comfortable knowing that like this guy's not ready to play. That would make a whole lot more sense. And then plus you have the insurance policy. So um, if they draft, I think that would be the, the wiser decision between the two. But I don't think they're they're gonna do it. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's a reason he's they they've been to Super Bowls, and uh, we're sitting here talking about it. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a puzzling one uh, for sure. Ooh, uh, so is there anyone out before? Actually, well, we'll go. I did, yeah. There's one more. Uh, okay. One, one more thing I did want to. So I'm interested for the Bengals. They have an interesting decision to make too. I know in our mock draft we had them taking. I had them taking Rashawn Slater. Penny Sewell uh, is another option 
for them because uh, I think they need an offensive lineman. You, you get you hurt the prize investment last year in Joe Burrow. It's pretty clear you got to protect it. Draft an offensive lineman. But the reports are Joe Burrow really wants Jamar Chase. If Jamar Chase is available, draft Jamar Chase. So if you're the Bengals GM, you're your quarterback, he wants another. And that would be an interesting combo. You got T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. That's, I mean, that, that that's that's some offensive firepower right there. But at the same time, you got two of the better linemen available in a while. Um, who are you? What are you going with if you were the Bengals GM? Um, I'm going offensive line. I'm, their offensive line is atrocious. That's your biggest need right now. Um, and if you really you need to protect Joe Burrow, I know he wants Jamar Chase, but guess what? This guy has played what ten games in the league. Yeah, he's not the GM. You are. You gotta kind of go over his head a little bit and protect your quarterback um, because he cannot get banged up uh, any more than he was last year. Um, so you need to protect your quarterback, solidify that offensive line. They have Jonah Williams. Um, and if Nathuel, um falls to them, I think you take him. Um, or Slater, like you were saying. Um, but, yeah, you, you go offensive line here. But now I will say, Mitch, and this is what I kind of wanted to bring up. Yep. I have seen today a report that Detroit was looking up to trade to number four with the Atlanta Falcons, but Atlanta was asking too much in order to um, draft Jamar Chase. Lions were looking to move up. So it looks like they're looking wide receiver. And if they can't trade up, I could see them taking a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. But it looks like they are they want that wide receiver from LSU, Jamar Chase. Yeah, that's a team that needs everything. So I don't know. I mean, if yeah. I don't know. As talented as Jamar Chase is, I feel like there's so many good receivers in this draft. Like, it's a very deep wide receiver class that I don't know if I'd be wasting future picks to move up that little of spots, especially when you have the first three teams are going to be drafting a quarterback. So you'll have a good receiver available at you for where the Lions are. That's an that's an interesting one. And, you know, Dan Campbell always strike me. I mean, I don't know how his thought process is. He didn't strike me as a type of uh, guy that would be trading up for wide receivers. Uh, he seems more of like a gritty head coach or, uh, you know, protect the trenches type of guy or some draft defense. So that that is that. interesting to move there. I mean, I'm excited to watch it. We'll see how everything uh, unfolds because there's definitely a lot of uncertainty in uh, uh, this year's draft. And I think – there's there's going to be at least one pick or a uh, trade within the top ten. I oh, think definitely. I think with the quarterback situation after the three, you, have, you know whoever. If, let's say the 49ers draft Mac Jones, there's going to be a lot of demand for Justin Fields and Trey Lance. A team like New England could trade in. A team like Chicago could trade in. But there is definitely going to be a trade within that top ten. Yeah, I think New England is definitely trading up. And I said this last week in my rant, just because the Bears are – your job's on the line. I feel hard to believe that they're putting all their cards on the table with Andy Dalton, uh, especially because your GM like Ryan Pace, and this is what kind of scares me, is you, you know you're on the hot seat, so if you get fired, it doesn't matter. So you'll be willing to mortgage the future because if it doesn't work out, uh, it's not going to affect you because it won't be your problem anymore. So uh, – I definitely would not be. I'm surprised not a whole lot more people have like mentioned uh, the the thought of the Bears trading up because I think that would make 
uh, a whole lot of sense. I mean, it, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And he's been trading up the past couple years, too. So, you know. Uh, moving on. Now, MLB. The MLB numbers have been up. Sunday Night Baseball is up. Overall, the ratings are going up. Uh which is good. That warms my heart to see because baseball, I think, is you know it was America's pastime, sort of the lost sport. So uh, that that makes me happy. There's actually I just read this today. We're going to talk some White Sox in a second. Uh, <laughs> interested to see what you you think about this. I just read this in the Pioneer League. They're doing some experimental thing and they're replacing extra innings with a home run derby. So kind of like a shootout gimmick in hockey, if you will. <laughs> Uh, what, I mean, I think that's a, the, the, one of the dumbest ideas I have heard baseball-wise. I mean, there's, there was one rule I saw people you could steal first, which I thought was pretty stupid. But a home run derby to decide extra innings. Each team will choose one batter to receive five pitches in this home run derby experiment. What do you think? I mean, this is, it, uh, man, this is, I, this is a gimmick from an independent league, I feel like. Um... They are technically, um, the Pioneer League is affiliated with the major leagues, much like uh, the Atlantic League and the American Association, as it being like an associate league of it. They're, you know, not, you know, directly linked to it through the minor league baseball um, pipeline. But um, if you look at these teams, I mean, Billings Mustangs, Great Falls Voyagers, I mean, I mean, how many people do you think go to a Great Falls Voyagers game? Yeah. Um, or the Idaho Falls Truckers. I mean, this is, it's kind of a gimmick, right? I mean, a home run derby, uh, I mean, it's already a gimmick that we're doing California League and Major League Baseball. Yep. Let alone a home run derby. It's ridiculous. It'd be kind of fun to see, though. Yeah, I would be interested to see how that would work and, like, the strategy of who, who you're going to take uh, for that. But. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you have, like, uh, you know, you're going out, you know, just having a fun time at a minor league baseball game. Cheap tickets, cheap food, cheap whatever. And you get to see a home run derby at the end in a clutch in a clutch time. You know, it'd be pretty cool. So, at least they're doing something different, right? Yeah. Get fans in the stands. Keep the minor leagues alive. Yeah, no, that is true. I See, I wonder how they would do it. I guess the, for the home run derby, you'd pick your own pitcher, too, then, to serve that up. So you'd have some kind of pitching jacket out there throwing batting. Wow. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a weird one for sure. But I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Now, on to the show. Uh, across Major League Baseball, the Madison Bumgarner no-hitter. He's helped a lot by the shadows. He's kind of had a terrible year. Uh, it's a pitcher that's really kind of fallen since his glory days in San Francisco. But he had a nice outing against a very good team. Um, so that was good to see for him. Now, I'm interested to hear, do you think the MLB did not count it as a no-hitter? Still counts as an official game with the seven-inning doubleheader rule. But uh, Madison Baumgartner will not get credit for a no-hitter. Fair or unfair? Do you, Would you give him credit? No, he didn't pitch a. No, he didn't pitch a. No hitter. A no hitter is no history nine innings. See, because who says? Because let, let's say, let's say he pitched a seven game no hitter in a nine inning game, and rain fell and they called the game. Would he have been given credit? Yeah, because he no. completed the game with no hits given up. No, I think you have Come an on. asterisk next to it, but like I think he the game. Was seven innings scheduled for seven? He made it through the entire game without giving up a hit. 
I think he gets credit for no hitter. No, it's not a no hitter for me. It, it, no, it's just not. It's it, it was a seven inning game, a no hitter. You have to have nine innings. What do you know? What his pitch count it was too? But at the end of the seven, I do not. It'd be interesting to see if they did count it. Let's say they did count it, and he had like right hundred, and he had like a hundred pitches, which means you know he's not going another two innings with a hundred pitches. That is fair. And I have read, like, over the past couple years, there's been, like, 180 pitchers that have had a no-hitter through seven. And, you know, obviously how many people finish those, not a ton. Well, let's pull up the uh, – what day right. is this on? I'm going to pull up the pitch count here. Um, uh, if I can find uh, – let's see. See, I think, though – yeah, I – one, I don't like the seven-inning doubleheader rule anyway. Simply because, from a selfish standpoint, I remember we like we we always go like when the Sox have like a doubleheader, you get the cheap seats and you get like the two for one. Uh, I, I want my full eighteen innings of baseball, uh, so I think the rule is stupid. But I think if you're gonna do it, then uh, you, you go all in. Let's see. Why Madison Bumgarner? All right, here we go. Here's an article why it wasn't really a no hitter. He earns credit for a complete game and a shutout. So why does he earn credit for a complete game and a shutout, but not a no hitter? Because he made it through the whole game. Uh, it was second inning. Let's see. Uh... Oh, he had ninety-eight pitches, Mitchell. Ninety-eight pitches. He was not going to make it nine innings. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Ninety-eight pitches to seven. He was definitely not. But yeah, I think he probably. And at his been. age, he might. I know he's you know kind of a workhorse, but. Um, He's not the same pitcher he was. You, no, I don't care. He wasn't making it. Yeah, you know what? You might have swayed me. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, he probably wasn't. Although he did face the minimum through through seven, so it was he he did have a nice game. But all right, fair enough. I guess uh, he's better off anyway. It makes Carlos Rodon's no hitter look more impressive. Now, nearing the end of April, we're gonna talk about our White Sox here. I have been in the past couple days. I was kind of in a mixed bag. It's been a roller coaster. Uh, for me, especially since like the Sox season has been kind of a roller coaster. So you look at it, and you know they have had one day Liam Hendricks is blowing saves in the ninth inning. The next Carlos Rodon's on a no hitter. Then you got Yerman Mercedes, who's kind of you know had a resurgence. He's hitting bombs onto the concourse. Then you look, and Lucas Giolito is getting shelled for seven runs against the Red Sox. Um, there's been a lot of up, like Lance Lint. There was a complete game shutout. He's looking good. And then you have the bullpen blowing another one. Uh, Tony Larusa leaving pitchers in too long. It's been like very uh, up and down. Now the White Sox found themselves this week at number six in the MLB Power Rankings, despite all the inconsistent performances. Um, and if you look at some of these numbers, I was doing some digging. There's a lot of stuff, things that you could like, especially with the team not playing very well. I don't think they're playing up to their full standard. Despite that, that they haven't played to their full potential. The number six in the power rankings, and if you look at some of the offensive numbers, they currently sit uh, number one in baseball and offensive war, according to fan, fan graphs. They are second in baseball with a 118 WRC plus, which means it's basically a measurement of how effective hitters are, and it adjusts for like the parks and the league that the team plays in. Uh, they're sixth in the MLB in RBIs and hits, which is pretty good. On top of that, they're third in the league in batting average, 
Second and on base percentage, which I never thought I'd be saying a White Sox team is doing a great job walking and getting on base. That's that's a sentence that hasn't been uttered this past decade. They have the uh, second biggest run differential in the NL, which is a pretty good indicator of a good team. Uh, and then you look at some individual guys, Michael Kopech. He is third in the MLB in expected ERA at 1.33, which third, you know, usually it's like, well, whatever. The only two pitchers ahead of him are Jacob DeGrom and Corbin Burns, who are literally setting records for dominance. So that had me feeling pretty good uh, about my White Sox, saying like, all right, we haven't figured it out yet. We're having these numbers. Once the weather starts to heat up, you see Jose Abreu starting to get hot. Uh, this team could be a force to be reckoned with. Watch out the rest of the league. And then they have a stinker like they did yesterday against the Tigers, where the Tigers had a historically bad day on defense, making all these errors. We're stranding runners. Tony Larusa blew another game, which we'll get to him in a second. So it's a very frustrating. Well, how do you feel about the White Sox right now? Well, where are you? Where are you sitting with them? You happy of the month of April? We're sitting at twelve and ten right now, or uh, you think there's some signs for concern? Um. Yeah. They- Started off the season not as fast as everyone thought. Um, then they went on oh, what was it three three game run yeah. three game win streak, um, and then they lost yesterday. So you know, I mean, this is baseball. It goes up and down. Here in the month of April, um, and I mean, Kansas City's doing well. I don't think really anyone thought Kansas City was going to do well. And you know what? They could be. They could you know end up the season losing ninety games. We don't really know yet, um, but they're starting to hit their stride. And um, I, I think I think they'll be fine. Um, yesterday was was a tough loss. Um, Detroit made five errors. The Sox had eight hits, and we scored two runs. Yeah. So that's practically right. Thirteen bases, you know, thirteen hits basically if you, with the errors plus the hit. Um, and he had two runs. And so yeah, you know, Larusa did make a bad call keeping in Giolito. But the fact of the matter is, you cannot score two runs when Detroit gives you five minutes. It's, it's unacceptable hitting the ball-wise. And Tony Russo is not going up there and swinging the bat. Um, and on Tony Russo, you know, we had the game where Liam Hendricks um, blew the save. Um, and Tony Russo made a defensive substitution earlier in that game to replace Billy Hamilton with... Um, um, well, he replaced Billy Hamilton for um, Vaughn. Yep. Billy Hamilton threw out the would-be tying run. Um, and then we played a little small ball in the bottom of the ninth, got the runners over, bunted with Yasmani Grandal, and we got the win from it. So, you know, he has done some good things, too. I know the Chicago media um, won't, doesn't want him to succeed. They really don't. And everyone doesn't want him to succeed. But he has done good things. Um, so, you know, I think they're doing fine. They'll hit their stride come May, late May and June, and they'll be fine. They yeah. just, yeah. you know. Well, and, you know, I, that is fair. There's a reason he's a Hall of Fame manager. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt. And I also do give him credit for a lot of the mistakes he's made he's owned up to him for. Now, I do have a problem, though. If you're making a mistake once, that's fine. But this, this is a guy that's supposed to be some bullpen aficionado, and it's starting to make me wonder at this point if Dave Duncan was the one pulling all the strings. The fact that we didn't get him onto the staff is a problem. Because you look at last night, and the average fan could see it with Giolito. Uh, everyone could. People in the ballpark could. Giolito even said after the game, I-, I was tired. He has him come back out for the sixth inning, and at that point he was high 90s. He walked the leadoff man, then he gets the guy to fly out. And at this point his pitch count was at 105. 
So with the runner at first, 105 pitch count, it's a mystery that he was still in the game. Now Wilson Ramos hits the line drive double, so he ties the game up. All right, fine. You left him in one batter too long. Not a huge deal. You thought you could get him out. Whatever. But now you would think he has to come out of the game. Because over 100 pitches, the score is now tied. You have a runner at second. Ball still in his hands. He gives up a home run. Now it's like, all right, you just lost the lead 4-2. to He still keeps him in the game. He did not move from the dugout. And then he lets the guy walk another one. I mean, he's like, how do you not see? And this is what really pissed, ticked me off. LaRusse, after the game, he took the blame again. Great. Um, but this quote especially was exacerbating. If he felt like he didn't have much left, that's something I should have recognized. I'm watching the game, and I'm confident he's capable of getting out of that inning. If I had seen something different, I would have gotten him. Everyone could see something different. I had a friend at the game that was like, yeah, they should probably pull Giolito right now. The next batter hit a home run. I mean, if a casual schmuck like me can see this, why cannot a Hall of Fame manager? And as far as the bats go, because I've heard that a lot too, uh, part of that is because of these lineups he's putting out there. Why is Jake Lamb in the game? Also, why in these clutch situations, Andrew Vaughn, the fact that he's not playing on a consistent basis is baffling to me because this is a guy you've invested a lot in. You're using his service time, and you're using him as a platoon player. He's been hitting pretty darn well. I mean, if you look at it... He's hitting 180, isn't he? Yes, but if you look at you the... You think he's hitting well, and he's hitting in the interstate, bud. No, because if you look at it, if you he's right now he has an average exit velocity of 92 miles an hour and a hard hit percentage of 83%, which are both above average in the majors. So he's making good contact. They're just going right at people, but he's got to heat up. Like, those hits will come. Also, late in the game, he has Billy Hamilton, which was the defense replacement. That's fine. But he keeps in the bat in the eighth instead of pinch hitting for Vaughn, and Vaughn has a 97 OPS compared to Hamilton's 68. And then you also have Grandal or Collins on the bench who's been hitting well. You keep Grandal in the lineup all the time. He's hitting 122. I mean, some of these things offensively, it's like, well, part of this is lineup-wise. No? You know, Mitch, you know, you can't come to me and say, Andrew Vaughn's been a great hitter this year, or a good hitter this year. And this guy, he's hitting 180. And you can pull out all the statistics to make him good because there are so many statistics out there anyone will be made look you know you, you say you know his exit velocity fact of the matter is he's hitting in the interstate and you just you, you cannot be playing a player like that consistently if he's hitting you know and his OPS is 671 which is not good um, he's not the fastest guy out there Um so if you're, if you, I'd rather have Billy Hamilton out there to be quite honest with you. Billy Hamilton is experienced. He's better defensively, and um, he's a better. He's faster, you know, the whole nine yards, and he's hitting better than him. Well, if you want to um, use if, if Billy Hamilton occasionally as a defensive replacement, spot start, that's fine. But why do you? I, the reason I think I mean, part of the reason that Vaughn's batting average is so low, which, like I said, he's hitting the ball hard. He's starting to hit the ball hard and figure it out. But he doesn't play consistently. How can you expect the guy to get in a rhythm if he is not playing consistently? He's being played in a platoon position. I mean, his job's hard enough as it is, the fact that you're asking him to play a position in left field that he's never played before in his rookie season when he's only played 55 games. But if you're not going to, in the minors, but if you're not going to give him consistent at-bats, then that's just making his job even harder because he's sitting there cold all the time. Like, you either play him or you don't. If you're not going to play Andrew Vaughn, then just send him to Charlotte so he can get into a rhythm and then call him up then. 
But like, I think the signs are there that he he is close to breaking out. Uh, it's just he doesn't get enough consistent playing time, which makes no sense to me. Why have him on the roster if you don't trust him? Like Jake Lamb should not be playing left field. That Jake Lamb is turning into the new Nicky Delmonico. I think that is, that is a joke. And I get it's not all Larusa's fault, and it's a long season. It's very easy to overreact to one or two games, but we've seen a few mistakes now that, that quite kind of concerning. This is Matt Foster all over again with the Lucas Giolito thing. The bullpen has not been good this year. Part of it's because it's been poorly managed. I'm just saying I have I have some concerns that right now as far as the managing goes, but uh, we'll see. I'm still confident they can turn this thing around. But you're acting like Jake Lamb playing like every day. He played six games out of 22. He should not be playing unless absolutely necessary. I do not want to see Jake Lamb in my lineup. Use him as a pinch hitter occasionally. That, that's about all I want to see at Jake Lamb. Or if everyone Jake else is. Lamb, at one point, well, well, you know, he's not He's not awful. He's not terrible, but I would rather have Andrew Vaughn out there than Jake Lamb. I mean, I would too, but, you know, the argument, I understand you want to get him rhythm and stuff. But when you're, you can't, you know, you can't make the argument, oh, we need to get guys in rhythm. And then, you know, say, oh, we need to start winning games, too. I mean, you realize if you you keep hitting a guy who's hitting 175 um, and it takes them 10 games and you have a few of those guys, you're going to lose games. So, it's, you know, it's a tough – I trust Tony. Tony's my guy. He's probably going to win AL Manager of the Year by the, by, by the year end. But, you know you, – I hope you're right. No one, no one in – Chicago, no White Sox fans. Chicago media, the fans, they didn't want. They they are so glad. It's almost like they want the Sox to lose just to see Tony Larusa fail, and it's really sad. It really is, and you see that in the Facebook group. We're in the same Facebook group, yeah. And everyone just always bashes Larusa. They bash Grandall. Um, but you know, I, on another note, I want to ask you this. All right. So last year, the Sox had. Well, in the past two years, the Sox had. Two really good catchers. Well, two years ago, McCann was a very good catcher. Then next last year, we had two really good catchers, Grandall and McCann. They were very good. They were able to, you know, rotate and do whatever, DH, do that whole sort of thing. Now let's imagine a scenario where both of those, McCann and Grandall, because McCann obviously left for free agency, let's say they're both in free agency. Looking back at it, would you have taken McCann over Grandall? No, I'd still take Grandall. I'm a Grandall defender, mostly. Now, I will say, the 122 batting average is getting ridiculous. Like it's, the, we were talk, You were talking about like you can't leave a guy in a lineup to find a rhythm. We've been leaving Grandall in the lineup to find a rhythm, rhythm and he's hitting 122. Like He's going to have to figure what's it out. His, at the uh, what's his exit velocity? <laughs> it is not above the major league average, I can assure you, because he's hardly making contact with it. Um now, but as far as those two go, and I liked I liked McCann. My thing with him, there's a lot of signs, uh, and this is still even knowing what I know know now because McCann's been better than Grandal has this season. But I understand what the Sox did, and I would have done the same thing simply because number one, Grandal's usually good with the pitching staff. He's a good defensive catcher. Hasn't been so much this year. Way too many catch interferences. But traditionally, he's been a very good defensive catcher throughout his career. Uh, he gets on base, usually. Hasn't so much this year, but he, he traditionally gets on base. So I was fine with that. And McCann had a very bad half of the second se- half of the season in 2019. That was his all-star year. So like he was great with the White Sox for the first half, but that was really his best offensive like month of his career. 
and he started to cool down near the back half. And last year was a small sample size. He played well, had a lot of lineup protection. But I don't think Grandal or um, McCann is an all-star catcher. I think he's just he's emerged. He is slightly above average catcher. He had a nice couple of seasons in Chicago. I thank him for everything he did. But I think the the overall body of work with Grandal is a lot better. Um, and I think the defensive thing will figure it out. He, he, you know, I'm not too worried about the catch interference or stuff because I think he does do well, a lot of research and handle the pitching I'll, staff. I'll well. tell you what, if he gets another catcher's interference, I'm throwing my remote through the top. Oh, I know. He's it's been like frustrating. It feels like every game, and it's been like four. Yeah. But, I mean, how many catcher's interference do you see? I mean. Not many. Not this many. I mean, it's been three or four, and it's like, geez. He hasn't looked good back there either. Like, And that was one of the arguments, like I just said, like his defense. But like even that, like there's been a couple pass ball. I, he just he doesn't look comfortable back there. He looks lost at the plate. Actually, Zach Collins, I've been very impressed with him. Uh, I think, defense, number one, defensively, he's looked really good. And he's a guy that we all know coming up. There was a lot of questions about that. But he caught Rodon's no-hitter. Rodon didn't shake him off at all. Called an excellent game. Uh, I remember this game stands out against Kansas City earlier in the year, Sunday afternoon game. He threw out three runners trying to steal on him. Uh, so the defense has been much improved, and he's swinging kind of a hot bat himself. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. I kind of want to see Zach Collins get a little more play. He's hitting 206. He's hitting it hard, though. It's, it's better than the 122 that Grandal's hitting. And once well, he but I that... will say Grandal, even with his low average, his OBP isn't horrible. It's in the 280s, which is the same as Collins. So, I mean, even with his horrible batting average, he's still getting on base, of, you know, still right. below average, but it's not awful. If he picks it up, we'll have a very good OBP. Now, last thing we'll talk with Sox. I, I do want to give a shout-out to Nick Madrigal. Just had a walk-off the uh, the other night. But what he's been able to – this is – it's interesting looking at some of his numbers, too, because he's slowly try, starting to develop into, like, an elite hitter because uh, – he does things that not a whole lot of guys do anymore. I mean, he said his goal for himself before the season was to uh, get 3,000 hits, which is re- kind of a crazy goal uh, to have because only 32 players in the history of baseball have ever done that. But uh, his strikeout rate is only at 3%, uh, which is uh, the best in the majors. Uh, his batting average, he hit 340 as a rookie, which is the highest uh, by any White Sox rookie since 1940. Um, for his entire career, I mean, my new small sample size, uh, 4% strikeout rate. And for context, the average strikeout rate in the MLB is 20%. They consider 10% to be excellent. He's at 4 which is wild to me. And his plate coverage, look at the percent of his, He leads the MLB in contact percentage, 95% contact in the zone. Um and then out of the zone contact, it's 90.2%. So even when he's chasing pitches, he's making contact. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that, I think that's wild to me. And his two strike batting average, 409. So that's something that you don't see a whole lot. Like, there's not a whole lot of players like Nick Madrigal anymore. So one of the hardest things to teach is plate discipline. And Nick Madrigal is making contact with pitches that he's chasing still, too. So I think that is a good sign. He's just going to have to start driving the ball a little bit. But I found those numbers pretty interesting. I will say this, in a lineup where you have Freyu, Robert, normally Jimenez, a guy like Grandal, Mancada, you know, all these kind of bigger, you know, I mean, going into the season, you know, we were talking all these names. And, you know, Nick Mandrigal, you know, he wasn't really, he's not, you know, the biggest name on this team. Um, and he's not even a top three name. I mean, it, it, he includes the pitching staff with Hendricks, Fialito, Lance Lynn, Dallas Heichel. These guys are all think, guys you think about before you think of Nick Mandrigal. 
But, you know, if you look at it, if you look statistically, and he's one of the better hitters in the lineup. Yep. He doesn't strike out. He gets on base. Um, you know, he doesn't hit home runs. But, you know, I'd, you know, I'd take a guy who gets who hits 300 than, you know, an Adam Dunn who hits 180 and hits 20 home runs, right? Um, and, he, you know, he had trouble with um, defense early in the year, but, if, as well, but, you know, going into the major leagues, everyone said that he was an above-average defender. So as long as he can find that defensive consistency, um, well, he's going to be rookie of the year. Technically, this is his rookie year. Um, so I think he's not a locker rookie of the year, but I think he's definitely a front-runner. Um, which is really good because he's 24 years old. Um, he's still got a lot of time in the majors left. Hopefully the Sox can uh, keep up and uh, that he can continue to develop to become a great hitter because he really is. He really is a great hitter. Yeah, and, you know, he, that's a good example of why you can't overreact too much to these early games because fans were ripping Nick Madrigal early on. He had the air on opening day, uh, you know, People were, and then what? he had a couple of base running blunders. Uh, and now look at him; he, he won. A, he won a game for him the other day too. So, um, yeah, there you go. I know. I know you don't talk a whole lot of basketball, but I felt like we had to get to this. It's simply because the MVP conversations heating up. We will. We won't go too far into this. But uh, I've been looking at all these MVP candidates. It's kind of difficult to decide. To be completely honest with you, but my feeling is you got to give it to a guy that's playing uh, in. Uh, all the games. So I would give it to Nikola Jokic. I realize Steph Curry's having a, a phenomenal season, but uh, their team's not very good. Uh, and a lot of his other numbers, besides the scoring, is down. Like He has a very high turnover percentage still, too. Uh, right now, he's just doing a bunch of bulk scoring. Which is cool. I mean, good for him, but like, give it to Nikola Jokic. Uh, he's played most of the games, uh, unlike Joel Embiid or LeBron James. Um, and he's the best player on a team that's very good. Uh, there's been some arguments for Chris Paul, too. I do like Chris Paul. I think you can make a legitimate case for him since he came to the Suns and made them contenders. But uh, I'm going Nikola Jokic. Do you have anything? I mean, I know you're not a big basketball guy. Do you have? If you had to pick one, do you have a uh, MVP front runner you like or uh, um, no preference? Well, I'm reading this article on Fox Sports, and it looks like that uh, Nikola Jokic has had a good year. Um, doing very well in the Western Conference, which is the better conference. Um, and yeah, so I think that Jokic, he's had a very good year. Embiid, I've heard, has a good year. He, you know, going into uh, the All Star break, he was in that conversation yeah. too. He's kind of chilled out a little bit, um, but still, he's up there. Um, I think if LeBron didn't get injured, he'd be more in the conversation. Yeah, for sure. And let's be honest with you, MVP is really based off, you know, kind of what we're expecting versus what we're getting, especially in the NBA, because. If we're really choosing the best player in the NBA, the most valuable player, it's LeBron James. Yeah. He brings the most value to any team he goes to. And the fact, I mean, realistically, he should he should have like 15 MVP awards, right? But it's, yeah, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of graded on a curve. Versus, I I always think of you know what we're expecting out of a player versus what we're getting out of a player, and the big and the player who exceeds expectations the most kind of gets it. And that's in all sports, not just basketball. Um, but especially in basketball where you kind of have, you know, LeBron kind of dominate the sport and then like Steph Curry, um, that a whole era with him, with him doing well. So I, I think, I think Jokic, he should get it. He's, he's a good, he's good defensively. He's good offensively. 
he can shoot for a big man. He can shoot pretty decently. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, I mean, he seems like a he seems like a good guy, so he should win. He's also one of the best passers for big men. Like honestly, outside of LeBron James, as far as like tall six foot guys, phenomenal passer yeah. too. He's um, averaging almost nine assists a game, which for yeah. the center is pretty good. That's really good. Um, you know, we talk LeBron James. And I know you'll get a kick out of this. So Julius Irvin, and these are always like funny. He he was on a podcast and he was having a uh, list of uh, what 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 if he had to assemble an All Star roster, what it would look like. Uh, and I love Dr. J. I think Julius Irvin never gets enough credit in the all time greats. Uh, he made kind of basketball cool with like the dunking and everything. Uh, prior to the ABA, before they merged, so I I I am a big Dr. J guy. I know that was one of my dad's favorite players too growing up. Uh, but so it's interesting thing that is uh, a list that he had. Um, he had for his uh, so his starting five was um, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West. Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bill Russell. So I didn't really have a problem with that because, you know, that's kind of like his era, whatever. Of course, you're going to pick the guys from your era. I'm sure if you ask a guy today, they'd pick, uh, like... Did, did, did I not hear Michael? No. No, you did not. That was his starting five. So now here's his second team. Second team, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There is a glaring omission from that list and it was LeBron James. And he asked, here's his argument, that he why he didn't put LeBron James. Uh, he is a guy who led the charge in te- terms of super teams being put together. Uh, it's obviously citing the, the Miami, Cleveland, Los Angeles. Yeah, well, yada, yada, yada. He's like, he can pick his own team. I ain't going to pick his team, he said. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, he was basically talking about how like the, the other guys that got drafted and stuck with their teams of management. I know you hear that argument a lot. Um, what, what do you think of his? What do you think of his list there? Do you think he has a valid argument? No, I really don't. Um, it's he. I mean, he, so the argument that he made was that you know he developed the era of building super teams and making your own team. Yet, you know, three members of his first team all played on the same Lakers team, right? Yep. Um, the Celtics won 10 championships. I mean, did they win like eight or 10 championships in a row in the 60s? Yep. So, I mean, and then, you know, then Boston made their own big three with Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, um, and Ray Allen, and then they had Rajon Rondo, too. So, you know, the fact that, you know, LeBron has maybe super teams, you know, his super team with him and Kevin Love, right? I mean, it, it's just tiresome, you know, listening, especially a guy like this, who, you know, he one, he puts Michael Jordan in his second team. Yeah. Um, if, I, don't, I don't, I mean, wouldn't the best, you could play LeBron and Michael Jordan in the same team. And I think universally, 90% of people would agree with that. Um, and instead he picked, you know, Elgin Baylor, who's very good, by the way. He's very good. Um, Jerry West was very good. Oscar Robertson, he was very good. And Will Chamberlain, he was also very good. But I don't think really any of them, with the exception of maybe Bill Russell, maybe, would even touch LeBron or Michael Jordan. I really just don't think so. Yeah. Um, So, you know, he's old. You know, maybe his mind's wandering. Who knows? He might have forgotten who LeBron James was, (laughs) and then they have to make something. Yeah, I mean... 
you know, super teams and no super teams, you take a team to a finals 10 times, you win four championships, four MVPs, four finals MVPs, I think that's good enough to be on the basketball Mount Rushmore. Even Carl Malone getting in over him. I mean, Carl Malone, great player, but eh, don't know about that one. Um, Yeah. Well, all right. Finally. I know we get to the final segment here for you. Talk, you can talk a little bit. We'll give you your NASCAR minute. And I know you want to talk some FCS uh, uh, playoffs. We'll start with the NASCAR. Last week's race, how did my guy Bubba do? Uh, I'm assuming he didn't win because uh, I feel like I would have heard about it from you. But, uh, yeah, floor is yours. Well, yes. Um, I'm going to – maybe I'll make this a segment, my minor sports minute. There we go. Talk about the minor sports. Um, so, yep, they were racing at good old Talladega. Um the track that everyone knows from the movie with Will Ferrell. Yep. And uh, um, Brad Keselowski, my driver, he won. Bubba did. He did win a stage, which is very good. He ended up finishing 19th, though. Um, so I'm sorry for you. Um, but, you know, he, he didn't, you know, when the race went by, you know, he kind of just fell back. Um, but anyways, FCS football. As you know, my Southern Illinois Salukis, you might have watched the game. I don't know. But they did beat Weber State in the first round of the playoffs. Um, and they are going to play South Dakota State, who they lost to earlier in the season, pretty definitively. Um, and I think South Dakota State's like 15-point favorite. Um, but the dream is still alive. Um, SIU, I don't know, SIU, that coach, ooh, um, he, he he did a fake field goal for a touchdown late in the game. Uh, yeah, he used a fake field goal for a touchdown. And then the play that they scored on was fourth and goal from, like, the eight-yard line. Quarterback got flushed up, and he basically just threw it high in the air in, like, the corner of the end zone where there were people. And SIU ended up catching the ball. It was wild. It was an amazing game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you're seeing schools, North Dakota State's in the hunt. They're playing Sam Houston um, this weekend. Delaware and Jacksonville State, as well as James Madison, who made – the championship game last year fell a little bit short. They're playing North Dakota. So it's a lot of good football, um, a lot of very good teams that we have seen um, through this season. Um, so it'll be exciting to see this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I will be watching. It is a lot better football than people give it credit for. Like you expect FCS to be, you know, Kind of a kind of a shit show out there. It is a pretty it's it's a pretty entertaining product they put on, and you can tell because uh, FCS product might be getting drafted uh, number three overall by the 49ers. We shall see. That is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week.